Welcome to Pharma Launch Secrets, a podcast by Evermed. We host direct, actionable conversations with world-leading pharma launch experts that will help you launch your next product or indication successfully. Now, here's your host, Bozidar Jovicevic. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Pharma Launch Secrets. I'm joined today by Meg Heim. Meg is president and founder of Heim Global Consulting. She started her career as registered nurse, and for over 20 years, she has been leading the way in building successful partnerships to create transformative healthcare change, such as in her roles as vice president, global head of scientific engagement strategy, operations, and program management at Sanofi. And also, she is sitting on boards of companies like Helios, which is a digital biomarker company. Meg is also a friend, and we spend a lot of time chatting about pharma launches and role of medical affairs and many other topics. So, Meg, it's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you for the invite. All right, let's dive in So, and talk about pharma launches. Meg, you've seen uh, pharma launches from different perspectives, from a large Fortune 500 companies, from consulting, from educational perspectives. So what do you think has really changed since COVID happened? COVID redefined how launches will be done in the future. I think that everybody was speaking about digital, like it was an event, but really it's a pathway It's how you think, it's how you communicate. I think the groups that had embraced that, that were innovative and were looking for it, were much further ahead because I think we've exponentially advanced how we communicate in a virtual world in the last three years with not only people not being in pharmaceutical brick and mortar, but practices closing down, clinical trials closing down. I think the number was 70% of ophthalmology offices closed for eight months during 2020. And that is incredible with the amount of amazing work that's being done in the biotech space to bring new innovation to that space where do you go? And so you need to figure out a way to communicate. You need to lean on strong relationships. And so it's not just about having a digital presence, but do you have a relationship, a meaningful relationship? And do you have a way of communicating that brings value to both parties? And I think medical is well suited to do that. And then I think you need to figure out how you're going to be a global citizen and bring global teams together that actually have a way to interact in an innovative way. So I think all of those changes have happened. Yeah, and it's hard, and it's really hard. I think you mentioned that it was started with uh, inability to access doctors because simply physical in the office works closed, right? But then, and then I saw somewhere that then the access to doctors has, pharma's access to doctors has dropped significantly including digital channels. So it's almost like the COVID happened and doctors that were allowing pharma to visit them now is like, okay, wait, wait, wait. Now in this new world, maybe you can only send me something digital or communicate digitally. So it's really, really hard for, I think, for pharma to to adjust to this new reality and build those relationships. And I agree with you, medical affairs is just uniquely positioned 
to do that with, with the focus on usually disease and a scientific exchange and not having that, you know, commercial piece. And when it comes to, you mentioned digital. So I have to ask you this question. So the world digital and omnichannel has been around in medical affairs. I'm still trying to figure out whether it's really becoming the thing or we're using this word and tweaking a few things. It's incremental change you see is happening or you think it's going to be more disruptive when it comes to use of omnichannel and digital. I absolutely think it's going to be more disruptive and there's going to be other players that haven't been in it in the past that will bring other types of industry, other highly regulated that will help us move forward. The other thing that will help us move forward is looking at the demographics of who you are engaging with. So depending on if your key opinion leader is somebody who's been in, say, the diabetes cardiovascular space, these people have been, you know, pretty much longer time. But the when you start looking at CAR-T and you start looking at gene therapy and these different groups of who is adopting and who is adopting that type of therapy and working with it, there's different generational differences in how they've learned to accept information, gather information, and how people interact. So I remember years ago, books that you looked up a drug. Now it is on demand. People want to be able to gather information that is efficient and focused to what they're asking. And they do not necessarily want a person. So if you go to buy a car right now or you buy a dishwasher or a TV, you don't go to see a salesperson or a rep. You go online, you gather the information that you want, you make a decision, and then you engage and purchase. And I think when you look at that model, of how we've changed as consumers, we've changed as consumers of information, and I think it it behooves us to look at different models. Yeah, that is really, really powerful. And, you know, we uh, from Evermed side and Evermed team actually have been talking about the exact point that you, you pinpointed with, with precision, such as doctors are in control now, in a way, when it comes to engaging with pharma, and they want to engage on their own terms. So everything you said... I want content on demand when I want it, when I need it, in a specific format that I want nowadays, like video and audio becoming more and more short form, bite size. I'm busy, <laughs> uh, but I do want to know and stay up to date and with what's happening. And I mean, example of, of we are all consumers that you mentioned, like buying a car, buying TV, buying anything. Like who talks nowadays with, with a representative from Samsung to buy a TV or a representative of Volvo to buy a car? Yes, we may talk with them when we are at the end of our journey of considering the products, doing our initial research, but all of like the two thirds of that journey at least happen, happen digitally. And it's interesting because if you think about in pharma, if you divide that journey in, like, in a simplistic manner to like disease education, what's new in my specialty? And then what's new, now that I know what's new, what is new about this product? Why should I know about it? And then how do I use it? All those steps were done by reps or MSLs, whether it's digital or, or in person, it, it doesn't matter. It matters with human to human, as you said, right? And so now is it, it's content, 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 content. And then at the end of the journey, okay, now I, I may want to talk. <laughs> the same was with the car. Maybe now I want to talk to someone in the store 
and buy a car. And that is massive, massive disruption. So it's going to be a lot of adjustment to that. Uh, I have to drop something that I just uh, read two days ago. I like the term because it really fits in what you're saying is digital natives versus analog natives. So basically the author was saying that uh, 100 plus million people right now in the US are analog natives, 100 plus are uh, digital natives. And it's very important because analog natives who are more, you know, my age and up, they, for them, digital was an add-on. It's a, it was a secondary reality. For digital natives, digital is the first reality. So analog is second reality. So if a family is going on vacation looking at the sunset, you would have one generation enjoying the moment looking at the sunset. The other one is enjoying the moment through taking photos and posting on Instagram because that's native to them. So it's nothing bad about that. And so if you think about it, Half of the people are digital natives based on their age right now, half are analog natives, and that has to be taken into account how they want to engage, whether it's content first or human first. So anyways, I just wanted to share that because I found it really fascinating. And I, I think it speaks to why on medical teams, you really do need diverse groups, right? So you and I were executives in pharma. Most people were of the same type of age group who were making the decisions final decisions and financial decisions on how we will move forward. But the reality is, is that you need diverse groups, not just of age and gender, but geographically to see where is the best way to get people to understand information in a way that they can accept it. And I don't want to commoditize the value of medical by saying, oh, you know, it's like selling a car. The reality is medical is so much more valuable because of the deep science, the ability to have the conversation. What that actually does is it elevates them to the place where they need to be, which is having a science-to-science -science conversation at a very high level, not a sales conversation, not of, hey, this is interesting, but true science to science. And I do believe that uh, digitalization will accelerate that. And digitalization is, you know, it is the buzzword, the omni-channel. But the reality is, it's what all things, it's a roadway. All things travel the digital roadway. It's just, it's like saying I use electric, yeah, right? Yeah. It's, it's almost like inevitable and, and totally understand when also when I use like a car example or TV, I think really the point is, is not to devalue anything in pharma or science, but really to speak about from a perspective of human being and their user journey, whether they're buying something or thinking or prescribing products. So totally understand that. And the scientific exchange that you're mentioning, the peer-to-peer -peer scientific exchange, which is another word we hear lately, and the use of technology is really powerful. I mean, just think about the vaccine and it took nine months for the world to come up with the vaccine because of the scientific peer-to-peer -peer exchange and collaboration, right? Which could, it would be unimaginable. So it's kind of inevitable set of forces that I feel like they're confluencing like together. Uh, confluencing in, in, in that digital is inevitable, omnichannel is inevitable, the way we consume content and do the exchange is inevitable, that has changed. So how in, in, in your current work and previously also from pharma standpoint, how does that affect right now the strategic conversations and the planning conversations from big pharma? Well, I think the hardest thing is getting entire groups aligned from a legal and regulatory and scientific standpoint and getting people comfortable with 
how information is delivered, and frankly, how privacy is managed and how people opt in. I'll use an example. We worked on a virtual reality program probably five years ago at Santa Fe. And the concern originally was, okay, they're going to have these headsets. The information was exactly the same. And we used pre-approved information to go in because we knew that not everybody was on the same page about the technology. So we really referenced like, you know, we had the same conversation 10 years ago with iPads. We've moved past the virtual reality headset now, and there's rooms that people can sit in so you don't have to worry about people falling over and not understanding. But at the end of the day, why is virtual reality important? 60% greater retention of information. At the end of the day, we were looking for how can you provide the crisp, clear communication that's needed, but have it retained and measured. And I think that's really where the shift is going to come. And that's why it will get adopted. Yes. And I read even somewhere, like if you think about video, right? It's like, okay, we all consume video every day. But if you think about it, I read somewhere that there's eight times more attention than reading text. And a lot of these generations that I mentioned are growing up watching videos. Like YouTube is how they learn. YouTube is how, oh, I can fix this in the house. I watched on YouTube. So I think it's really powerful. And then when you add those more immersive experiences, like you're mentioning with VR, it's a whole another layer of retention and measurement, which is also easier to do, and a lot of other different applications. I remember also for my time at Sanofi, we're looking at applications in education, but also applications in addressing some of the issues like pain, <laughs> in chronic pain, things like that. So how do you think that everything that we're discussing right now will impact the, the budgeting process? Because it's that time of the year. So the, which budgets will become bigger, which budgets will become smaller, or anything more that, that, you, can feel, that you feel free to share? So I think budgeting is a very interesting topic for medical because it's not something that most people go through medical school and we talk about pharma, we talk about doctors, but honestly, medical is composed of nurse practitioners, pharmacists, physicians, and a lot of really smart people from a scientific standpoint. Medical typically wasn't thought to be the budget group, right? You got a bucket of money, you went out and did what you did. Those days should be over because medical can show value, but you need to be able to be ready to have a business conversation when you negotiate your budget. What investment do you need to meet your strategic imperatives? How will you measure your impact? That's the conversation you need to have in your head. So if you see something amazing, like a new whatever, if we started with digital publications, right? Or a video embedded into a annotated PDF, and then where the author can speak. All of these first in class at that time were much more expensive than what we normally did working through the process. Great ideas. So how do you budget for that? If you're a local organization, what is the overarching strategy from a medical standpoint, a digital standpoint, and a company standpoint? Is there a group you can partner with? 
Is your commercial group doing the same thing? Is there a firewall approach that you can both benefit from, although firewalling, because you're building the technology? So do your homework. Find out if Global has a presence and wants to do this. Great. Can you partner? Can you partner across therapeutic areas and pool budgets together on some of these things? I mean, most budgets are siloed in pharma by the product or therapeutic area, but look for partners. And I think that's really key. Or go in and ask for the money. However, be prepared with why you're doing it, what your strategy is, how it ladders up to the global strategy, or the global strategy ladders up to the product strategy, and how you're going to bring a product to market, what the impact you believe will be, and how you're going to measure it. And that is your impact over time. There's no ROI in medical, but there has to be an impact to the care providers that we serve globally and how we get the right drugs and information to patients. Got it, clear. And, and it's, for me, it's also inevitable that the role of medical affairs will grow after this because, again, the, it's more focused on scientific peer-to-peer exchange. So it's more focused on that. And because medical affairs is always in between like clinical development and commercial. And with real-world evidence, it happened you know, four or five years ago as a trend. And now with COVID and with focus more on educational content and science, I feel like it's inevitable that there will be a bigger role. So my assumption is that budgets will be bigger. <laughs> but as you said, it also takes leadership and it also takes clarity and measurement of impact and putting all the pieces together on a global regional, local level, and then product level and strategic imperative. So in the one cohesive, coherent story that when you ask for money, <laughs> that you're not just asking because medical affairs should have more money, but because you, you have real clarity. But based on my experience in pharma, that also comes to, you know, leadership and the clarity of thinking and also, which is becoming harder and harder because it requires new new set of skills and it's becoming more and more complex because in the past you have maybe an MD and you have experience in four or five different kind of areas and now it's like a digital and an omni-channel and user experiences and interfaces and design and data and data science. <laughs> so, so in order to connect all those dots that you're mentioning, the skill set has skill set requirements have, uh, I feel, exploded. I don't know what's your take on that. Do you feel the same way about that? or I do. I think that where I talked about that diversity, there's people coming in with this digital background, right? Coming into medicine, they've grown up in the digital space versus the analog space. So it behooves us to educate ourselves in the language, just the language alone, what does it mean? What does omni-channel mean? What does digital mean? What is that? I mean, these are not your basics. But most importantly, talk about the investment. Prepare yourself. Use your budget wisely. What is your trade-off? Make sure that when you walk in, that you understand the language of the people at the table you're meeting with. But never ask for money, ask for an investment in what you hope to attain. And I think that is when even here we're talking about asking for, right? That is a problem in itself. Budgets should show value to the groups that need them 
at a certain portion, you get a portion of a budget. And as part of a team, it gets divvied out based on what you bring to the table as you bring products to market. There shouldn't be an ask. There really should be a conversation about investment and maybe your expansion based on your needs. Yeah. So know your story, know your strategy, connect the dots, have strong logic behind it, and also never position it as cost, uh, positioning as investment, which, which implies completely different meaning, Just we are investing so that we had better outcome. We are not a cost center. We are investing in something that's bigger that's going to achieve outcome X. I hope that this, what you're saying, will for the listeners, will help them in the budget planning process and in those amazing meetings where you're kind of proposing and uh, hoping to get the best outcomes. But just sometimes, just by knowing one or two or three things like this and changing, tweaking also the language can make a huge difference in the, the final outcome during the meeting. One question that uh, I'd like to ask you, You've been in uh, global roles, so you have this broader perspective of uh, not just country launches, but regional and global launches. Where do you think is this in this axis, global, regional, local? Where do you, what do you think has changed? And if you have any best practices or golden nuggets to share, especially when it comes to context of pharma launches? I hate to say that it comes back to getting to know your teams. If you're in a local, a lot of companies have changed the regional space out because it is too many layers, right? You're seeing the biggest of companies, some have it, some don't, depending on product and life cycle. But you're trying, right now there's a slimming down of companies is what you're seeing. But at the end of the day, there's an entire group of people that get up every day in global to get the right medicines to the right patients. And locally, there's an equally driven group of people that are trying to do the same thing, but typically have kind of knocked heads, if you will, on how that happens and where each value is. And so I think that having been in global levels, having run local teams in large affiliates or regions like a US, we got down to the basics and said, where is the value of the other group and how can you work together? So as digitally savvy as everybody is, beware of the letter writer, the emailer, get on Zoom, get on a phone call, talk to people and look at where do you intersect for the most expeditious way of getting the right information and the right tools that you need for your teams. And how can you work together to basically pull those budgets together to be able to get to the big digital or the big whatever you're looking for to be first in class? To be innovative, you've got to push the envelope and you may fail, but it's really nice to have a team around you who's also working forward. So fail fast and try it out, but pull your team in and do not leave any stone unturned. Not your global partners, your HEOR, your market access, your commercial. When you're building strategy, it's strategy around a patient and a patient population. And you can work together on patient population. So make sure you're really focused. Yeah, and sometimes one of my favorite quotes is, excellence is achieved by the mastery of fundamentals. 
And sometimes it really does executing those fundamentals so well can make a huge difference. And I love how you frame it as where is the value coming from, the pockets of value, because each of these entities like local, regional, global has a distinct value and it's not the same in every company, right? It really depends. Sometimes it's a skill set, sometimes it's the technology, sometimes it's some knowledge of something, sometimes it's just specific mindset or culturally that exist in affiliates that can be leveraged but just having those conversations and understanding if you will like venn diagrams between those like pockets of value and saying okay here is how together we're not going go, going to overstep and global do something that local is better in and then local pretending to do something they're better in or trying to do something but we're going to create this together and derive maximum value out of it, knowing also and knowing who the people are can be really, really powerful. The budgets are completely different around the globe too. So I want to make sure that I'm really cognizant of that, that even though I'm based in the U.S., having led teams around the globe, people bring incredible value without the budgets that are typically like a U.S. budget. But in working in Asia, and that area, the amount of amazing work that came out, the amount of amazing science that's come out of the Eastern Europe. I mean, there are so many great places where data and information comes out of the teams, South America, and those connections that don't believe because they don't have a big budget that they don't have value. There are people in those territories around the globe that bring something very special to the table. Yeah, and I have witnessed that. I was just having a conversation last week also with one of the global companies and uh, they were just praising affiliate in Argentina, how they created this MVP they didn't tell anyone about. They created this educational platform about the first 2,000 users and then they showed it to everyone else and everyone else like, I want to have the same. So sometimes you never know that there is a level of enthusiasm or skill set or drive or this entrepreneurial mindset that could come from any parts of the world. I remember when I was at Novartis in Sanofi, I was always wondering, why do we have a lot of digital innovation coming from Brazil affiliates? I was always wondering, why is that so? And you see that's your experience as well. So I think we live in a global world and kind of one world. And so everyone has something unique to contribute. Great. So I hope uh, a lot of these kind of wisdom nuggets will be used by listeners in an upcoming, you know, budgeting and planning, strategy planning season. And for the very end, I'd like to ask you some rapid fire questions, if you're open to that. Absolutely. All right. So my favorite question is, what's your favorite industry buzzword of the year 2022? There's two. It's a hybrid and acceleration. All right. Thought you'll say omnichannel. Hybrid acceleration. All right. What's the best book you've read in the last 12 months? I still think it's Multipliers, Liz Wiseman. I like that a lot. That's still my favorite this year. I've reread it. All right. Thank you. What's your go-to song? Go-to song when you need some inspiration? Happy, Pharrell Williams. <laughs> oh, that's a great one. Yeah. It kind of always <laughs> makes you, lift you up. Who in the world of pharma would you most like to take for lunch? So this is an interesting one because it's probably not somebody that you would think of as in pharma at this point. So the disruptor, I believe, of pharma will be Amazon, Jeff Bezos, and how they're looking at it. But if I had to pick pharma, I would probably say Emma Walmsley. I would love to take her to lunch, and I would like Elon Musk to join us. So another CEO and SpaceX and Tesla CEO. 
Yeah, because he's a disruptor and he looks at things differently. And I think she's looking at things differently because she did not come from the pharma space. She's bringing different industry background. And I think, so I always look for disruptors and what makes them think the way they do now if they look at the situation of pharmaceuticals today and 10 years from now. Great. All right, so I'm Wemsley and Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, if he's, uh, he's around. And then what one sentence advice would you give to anyone starting out in pharma today? Wow. If you're starting out in pharma today, you can lead from where you are. You have the most control over your career right now and become a lifelong learner, not just of books and school, but of people. Great. And last question, where can people find you online? Ah, find me on LinkedIn, Meg Heim. Right. Meg Heim, all right. Meg, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to talk to you and I'm um, looking forward to, to working together and you know helping the industry go through everything we've been discussing today. Thank you. Thanks so much, Fozzie. Bye-bye. This podcast was brought to you by Evermed, Evermed offers pharma companies the fastest path to having their own Netflix-like on-demand video engagement hubs for doctors or patients. Make sure to search for Pharma Launch Secrets in Apple Podcasts or Spotify and click on the follow icon so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Evermed, thanks for listening.